0: Are y'all alright? Is it just quiet? Is it throwing everybody off because Todd's not here? Y'all are like a calf at a new gate or something. It's not like I've never preached before. So uh well, we're gonna talk about tonight how can I make my marriage work if we can't get along. Uh tip number one: send them to a baseball game. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Todd and I are actually getting along fine, so you know. Um I'm I'm just kidding. You know, there are several reasons why uh we have these issues. These issues arise. You know, first of all, it's because we're different. We're not just different because, oh, the youth. youth, Y'all, y'all don't really care about how to make your marriage work when you can't get along with a spouse because y'all aren't married yet, so y'all can go next door. I think Junior's got something much better planned for y'all. Uh, anyway, it, yeah, y'all are released to go. Don't be so excited, please. <laughs> y'all give our youth a hand. Bye, guys. Love y'all. Golly, y'all act like you're like 80 years old or something. You're young. Skip out or something. Skip. There you go. Yes. So there's a lot of different reasons why we, we don't get along. First of all, there's, there's differences because, you know, the male and female difference, of course. And, and that's a lot to do with it, you know, but the funny thing is every time Todd and I take the personality test and, and they do like the, 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 the female things that are like most prevalent and the male, we're, we're flipped, we're switched. He has all the female characteristics and I have all the male. So, I mean, it still works. I don't really get it, but, you know, he's the one that after a long day he wants to come home and talk. And I'm done. I don't want to talk anymore. I've talked to everybody that I need to talk to during my day. I have answered as many phone calls as I want to answer. I am done. I just want to veg out. And he's always like, "How was your day?" And let me and then, and then, and, 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 and you know, when I, we were really young, I used to tell him, "Please just quit talking. <laughs> Can you please just, you know?" So we've we've learned how to navigate through those waters. But you know, our differences are are play a lot of into that, and and some of it, too, is not just the male-female differences, but personality differences, and, you know, we have, you know, the, our differences make us stronger, not weaker, and sometimes we think of uh, if your personality is different, and Todd and I are like on opposite ends of the spectrum. I mean, we did one where it was the animals, and like the lion was the, the strong, you know, um, leader, the t- come in and take charge. And then like the beaver was the one who reads all the manuals. Every time they buy a new piece of equipment, they read the manual from front to back in English, Spanish, and French. You know, <laughs> they don't want to miss anything. Those are the beavers. And the otters are like the party animals, you know. And um, then I can't remember, you'd think I would know. But there was another one that, and Todd was like an otter. He like he, he wants to party all the time and so I learned this early on and um, right before about three months before we got married he had um, no surgery he had a deviated septum and so they went in there and they broke his nose and they shaved it down and he's got he's, his head his whole head is swollen plus he's got all this packing shoved up into his sinuses and he's got black circles around his eyes but Todd likes a to party right So if Todd loves to party, why wouldn't he want to party the day after he had face surgery, you know? And so I bring, like, the whole youth group over to his house, (laughs) and he was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, we're here to cheer you up. He's like, get these people out of here, you know? Uh, But he's the party animal. You know, he used to get mad at me because we'd have people over the house, and midnight would hit, and I'd go, okay, I'm ready to go home. I mean, I'm ready for you guys to go home. I'm going to bed. And he was like, "You can't be rude like that. You can't kick, you can't kick people. They won't come back." And I'm like, "Todd, we feed them. They always come back." You know. He's the party animal, and and most of the times when we had parties back then, it was kind of like Greg and Larry. It was just, "Hey, let's go eat." Okay, yeah, and everybody would end up in our house, and so there was differences. And I'm I'm the lion. You know, Todd's got a little bit of lion, but he would rather be partying than lioning. And, you know, if you're a lion and, and everything's serious and you're responsible for everything, you can't have as good of a time, you know. So when we when the kids were real little and we would go to Six Flags or Slyderbun or wherever, guess who ride, rode the rides and guess who sat with Joshua and the stroller, which, I mean, by the way, it suited me just fine because I hate all those stuff. We've got a picture in our house that we took last summer. We were at uh, Knott's Berry Farm in L.A., and uh, it's a roller coaster thing, and the, there's only four of us in there because Josh got, was messing around, and he didn't get into the s- same line as we did, so he was, like, on the train behind us. But anyway, it's Drew and me and Todd and Christy. And Drew and Todd and Christy got, like, these huge smile. You know, they, they, they're, like, smiling, and I look like I'm about to die because <laughs> I think I'm about to die, you know. And the only reason I'm on this ride is because my kids make fun of me if I don't go and so, you know, they're just not fun for me. Um, but, so we have those big differences. And then there's another personality test that we did, and it, it talks about, um, uh, you know, are you a people person or are you a paper person? Well, Todd and I are both people people, so that, that worked out okay. But I'm also more administrative. I, if I need a task, give me a task and I will get it done. Todd is not so much. Todd is an exhorter, and so he, he loves to just sit and chat all day. And, you know, this, it just, he, he, I, when he says, hey, I'm on my way home, I don't ever believe him. When, when he was working at Y tv we had just been married for a few months, and his shift started at like 4 o'clock in the afternoon and went till 2 o'clock in the morning. And so um, this was before the days of cell phone. I know it's, we can't imagine those days now, but this was before the days of cell phones. And he, he he got off late at night, and so, you know, I got used to him being home at about 2.20, 2.15, 2.20 in there. And so I got used to waking up. So I woke up one night, and it's like 2.30, and he's a little late, but I'm thinking, okay, you know. But the thing with Todd is... Um, like one time he was real late because he put diesel in his car instead of the regular because he was real tired and he just grabbed the first you know, so he had to call his dad in the middle of the night. Dad, I did something to my car, I need help and so you know, so there's always reasons why he's late. Well, uh so I didn't think anything about it. And then three o'clock rolled around and I'm thinking, he's really, really late. And then four o'clock rolled around and now I'm almost ready to call the police. And he walked in. <laughs> And I'm where have you been? And he was like, Oh, you know, uh so-and-so stopped by the station. He really needed to talk and he needed counseling. And so I really felt like I and I'm like, so you couldn't pick up the phone and he was like, Well, you'd be asleep, and I'm like, Really? <laughs> I haven't slept in over two hours. <laughs> Uh, you know, so he's a people person. He he, he he enjoys being with people. And and so that created some rifts in our marriage when we when we first got married because he would say, hey, I'm on my way home. And then three hours later, he'd walk in the door. And, and that's when he was working up here even. And so, you know, I would always say, you know, I don't care how late you're going to be, but don't call me and tell me you're coming home if you're not really coming home. You know, <laughs> tell me you're coming home when you're in your car. And cell phones have helped. With that, tremendously, so now then you have those kind of issues going on, and so you have just this, this male-female differences, and then personality differences, and then one's a lion and one's an otter, and then one's take charge and one just wants to sit around, and you know, and so you just constantly have this going on. So how do you survive that? Well, I want to take you to a story in the Bible. So turn with me. To the book of Ruth. Now, this is not a marriage story. There's a couple of marriages in it, but this is not necessarily a marriage story. And I want to give you the whole background. We're going to go through the entire book of Ruth, it's only four chapters. I'm not going to read every single word so y'all can relax. But I want you to get the whole picture of what's going on here. And, and I think there's some principles here that if we'll get a hold of these, it will help in our marriages, it will help in with our relationships with our children, um, with friends. You know, th- there's, there's some principles in here that just, they work. So we're going to start in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. And it says, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled, and if you all remember when, when in, in the days before there was a king in Israel, They had judges, and so Israel had two kingdoms, the northern kingdom, which is Israel, and the southern kingdom, which was Judah, but um, they kept blowing it, and they didn't have a king, and so the judges would have to come in and straighten them out and tear down all the idols and everything, and then... They would do okay for a while, and then they would fall back in. They would stray off again. And we later, when they do get kings, it really doesn't change. It's kind of like us today. You know, today we love God, and tomorrow we're cussing at our neighbor because their dog pooped in our yard. Something like that. So the judges, that's why it says when the judges ruled, because they would they would come in, and they would straighten everybody out. Okay. So now, when it came to pass, uh, in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. And the name of his two sons were Mahon and Chilion, and they were Epaphrites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now, they took wives of the women of Moab, and the name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth, and they dwelt there about ten years. Now, here's why that's important to know. In Jewish culture, even today, if you have a couple, and the wife is Jewish, and the husband is not, The baby's Jewish. If you have a couple where the husband is Jewish and the wife is not, the baby is not. And, you know, we would think it would be the other way around. But in Jewish culture, if the mother is not Jewish, then the children can be made Jews, but they are not born Jews. And that's a huge deal especially when you're talking about inheritances and and where you, you you know, remember when they first took over uh, Canaan, they divided the country up. And so whatever family you were in, you got a piece of that land. And so this is why it's very important. And so these boys, they're Jewish men, but they're not in a Jewish country. And they take wives that are not Jewish. This did not make mama happy. And we'll find that out in just a minute. Verse 5, it says, And then both Malon and Chilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Verse 6, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return to the country, uh, from the country of Moab, for she had heard, heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. So in other words, times are still kind of rough in Moab. She doesn't have family in Moab. Moab. She's going to go home to Bethlehem okay? And so she, she, she packs everything up. She's getting ready to leave, verse 7. Therefore, she went out from the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law were with her. Here's the reason they were with her. In Jewish culture, when you got married, if your husband died, his relatives took care of you. So, uh, the... These, these wives, even though they were not Jewish, they, were, they had been part of the family for 10 years, and so it was sort of expected that uh, part of Elimelech's family would take care of them, okay? Um, but that's not sitting really well with Naomi. Verse 8 says, And Naomi said to her two daughters in law, Go and return to your mother's house, go back to your own mother. For the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me, with my family and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest in each, uh, each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, "Surely we will return with you to your people." But Naomi said, "No, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons? And wives? am I going to have any more babies? I don't think so. That there may, you know, are, are, am I going to have more kids? Are they going to grow up to be your husbands?" Turn back, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. And if I should, uh, and if I say I have hope that if I do find a husband, should I also bear sons? And if I did bear sons, would you wait for them until they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me uh, much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. In other words, uh, she's having a major pity party, but she has a problem. She can't bring these non Jewish people back to Bethlehem and then explain why the boys, her her boys, her Jewish boys, her her offspring married these women and now they're bringing um, foreign women back into the country. She's got a lot of explaining to do and she's trying gracefully to get out of it, okay? And so verse 14 says, Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Now, in our culture today, what's more intimate, a kiss or a hug? This is not a rhetorical question. What's more intimate, a kiss or a hug? Thank you, because, I, you know, a lot of guys come up and I hug them, so, I, you know, we need to be clear on this issue. So you would think that the one that, Orpah, the one that, that kissed Naomi, you'd think that she had more love. Ruth went up to Naomi and gave her a hug, but she refused to let go. The, the King James Version, I'm reading out of the New King James, the King James Version says that she clave to her. Clave is the past tense of the word cleave. Now, if you were here last year or the year before when we did the message on cleave, and cleave, the word cleave in English has two meanings, and it's really confusing because they mean exactly the opposite. One definition of the word cleave is that you're bound together like glue, and it's, you're interlocked together, and we used uh, the the illustration of a puzzle being put together. how those pe- When those pieces lock together, when you find the two that fit perfectly together, they lock in place and they complete the picture. The other meaning of the word cleave is where we get that big, like, square-looking knife, the cleaver, and it means to cut off and sever completely. No wonder people don't like English. Um, but in this instance, Ruth, Ruth cleave, clave, to her mother-in-law. She refused to let her go. And she made this declaration that we're going to read. Now, we usually hear this declaration in uh, in weddings and in, in, in wedding ceremonies. But this is actually not, this doesn't have anything to do with a wedding. It's what Ruth is declaring to her mother-in-law. Verse 15, and she said, look, your sister-in-law, Naomi's still talking. And your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to, and to her gods. So now religion's coming into it. Return with your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you, or turn back from following after you. For wherever you will go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. And your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and I will be buried there. The Lord so do to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. So Ruth makes this declaration. And this is a woman who really, really wants to go home alone because she has plans. And we'll see it in just a little bit, what her plans are. But Ruth is sort of messing up her plans because now not only does she have to find someone to stay with, she's got this tag along that she has to explain and, you know, the chances of Ruth finding a, another Jewish husband in Israel is slim to none. And she's got to explain why her boys married her, Any one of her boys married her anyway. And Ruth makes this declaration. And Naomi at this point has done everything that she could without slapping Ruth in the face and saying, go away. The first thing you have to do when you... Um, when you are trying to get through a rough patch in your marriage, when you can't get along, you have to decide that only death will separate you. That's it. Divorce is not an option. Divorce is not even in your vocabulary. And see, what we do is we say things like that until we get really mad, until we get really mad, until we get really hurt, and then we begin to consider it, and we may not vocalize it immediately, but we do begin to consider, and the thought begins that, you know, maybe life would be easier by myself, and we begin to think about it, but Ruth made an oath to her mother-in-law that basically, you know, she's talking about... Where you die, I'm going to die, and I'm going to be buried. And so the Lord has permission to kill me if I ever break this oath to you. And so when you took your wedding vows, when you stood up, Todd and I stood right up here. The carpet was gray back then. And the stage didn't look like this. It had steps all the way down. And uh, there was a screen there, but it wasn't like a drop-down screen. We had to set it up. And we stood right here. And I had an off the shoulder wedding dress on that they had made the shoulders too big on. And so I had a straight pin and it popped out and it poked me through the whole wedding. And we exchanged our wedding vows and then we knelt right here and we took communion. Okay? When I did that, I made a covenant with Todd. And Todd made a covenant with me. And Todd gave me a ring symbolizing the covenant that we made. And I gave Todd a ring that symbolized the covenant that I made. And in that covenant, it said, nothing is going to separate us but death. Now, I feel the need to add a caveat in here. You do not need to put up with abuse. You do not need to put up with addiction because addiction leads to abuse. And you do not need to put up with abandonment because addiction leads to abuse and abandonment. Okay? But aside from those three things, just because he got nasty, and adultery is, is, is abandonment, by the way. Now, I, I know couples that adultery has taken place, and they've worked through it, and they are whole, and they are healthy. And they're not just staying married for the kids. They have a great relationship. That doesn't always happen because that's a huge thing to overcome. So I'm not talking about those instances. I'm talking about you just can't get along. Your personalities don't click. Or you thought you were in love and then you woke up the next morning and you found out you didn't love him. Or he lost all his hair. Or he has love handles now. Whatever. You got into an argument again. The same argument that you had last month. Again. I, I, you know, it, it's funny some of the things that we argue over. I, I remember one time. Todd and I argued, I mean, loudly. <laughs> we fought. Well, we didn't like fight, but we argued loudly for over two hours. I and mean, I don't even remember what we were arguing about. I just remember it was long and it was loud and I was really tired at the end. And finally Todd said, you know what, I need da 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 And I said, Todd, that's what I've been saying for the last two hours. And we were totally in agreement, but because we were both angry and mad, we didn't know that we were agreeing with each other. I mean, how dumb is that? So you have to take divorce off the table. It cannot be an option. It, it, it cannot be a way out. And once you understand that, then you can work through pretty much anything. But I will also tell you that in this story, this is a unique story in that Naomi really didn't want Ruth along, but Ruth was along for the ride, whether she liked it or not. In marriage, it's really important that both of you are working towards the same goal. Because if you're not, you can have the spirit of Ruth, and only death will will separate us. If if your partner is not does not have that same attitude, they will sabotage it, and they will do even the three A's: the abandonment, abuse, or adultery, in order to sabotage it. Okay, so that's important to know. We we both have to work into this together. It's funny when when. Uh, We started discussing that I was going to teach this message. Todd started sending me all these marriage articles. And in one of them, it was from Pastor Rick Warren of Saddleback Church. And he was like, you know what? Really, um, if you want to get along in marriage, you just got to grow up. And I'm like, I like this guy. He said, because basically arguments come along in marriage because you want something and they want something and neither one of them wants to give. Todd wants to go to a baseball game. But I want, like, new clothes. Todd wants to be build memories with the boys. But I want to look good in front of the church. But we only have money for one. So who's going to win? Now, I, I didn't actually do that, by the way. But, I mean, that's, that's some of the things that, that we argue about. We get, we get defensive, and, and we think that if we don't stand up for what we want, no one else will. And you know what? Actually, the complete reverse is true. Once we begin loving other people the way we want them to love us, it's amazing how caring and giving they become. When we give up what we want to do, and don't give it up by going, all right, now, I really wanted to go fishing today, but I know you need the house painted, so I'm staying up, but I'm letting you know, my heart is really fishing, so I'm making the sacrifice. don't make sacrifices like that, all right? But when we true, truly act sacrificially, when we truly give of, our, of ourselves, it's amazing how easy it is for our spouse to give back. And it doesn't have to be work. Well, let's go on with, with Ruth and Naomi. So, divorce is now off the table. You're stuck for life. Verse 18 it says, And when she saw that she, was, she uh, Ruth, was determined to go with her, Naomi. Naomi stopped speaking to Ruth. Not a word. Not a word. (laughs) I mean, Naomi has just made this pledge of faithfulness. I love you. You have been part of my family for the last 10 years. I don't want that to end. I need to make sure that you're taken care of. You're fixing to move from one country to another country. It's a long road. They probably had... Uh, very little provisions. If they did have provisions, they had to get donkeys and stuff to carry them. It's not like we move today where we call Mayflower and say, Hey, I'm moving. They're doing this. And from the moment Ruth made her declaration that should have elicited a response of, I cannot believe how much this girl loves me. I want this girl to be comfortable and stay with her own family. And she still has a mother back there that she needs to go back to. I I can't believe this girl is is giving up everything that she has ever known. Because the the only place that Ruth has ever been is Moab. Ever. And she's giving up everything that she has. She's giving up everyone that she knows. She's giving up her family to move to a new strange situation for me. I cannot believe... How much this girl loves me. And instead of being humbled and gracious and telling Ruth back, you know what, I'll make sure you're taken care of, she gets ticked off and does not say another word to her. Not a word. So imagine you're walking, and, and I should have looked it up, I didn't, but imagine you're walking to Moab, or imagine you're walking from Christian Faith Center to to Walmart down there. And the person that you're walking with doesn't say anything to you. I'm sure this was more than a day or two's journey that they went. Now, Ruth doesn't know where they're going. She doesn't know the way. And the woman that she's just pledged her life to be with is totally giving her the silent treatment. Now, if you're married, some of you know the silent treatment. Some of you have it down really well. Todd used to try to give me the silent treatment, but that's really, when I know he's mad at me, it's really the only time that I do want to talk because um, he used to think I did it to bug him, but I really don't. I don't like there being an uncomfortableness with him, especially in my own home. And so I want to fix it. And so, you know, I'll talk for eight hours at that point until we get it fixed. Okay? This woman is, is not saying a word to her. Verse 19. Now when the two of them, the, now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they came to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? And in other words, hey, look who's back. How's the family? How are you? Where are the grandkids? How are you doing? They are so excited. They haven't seen Naomi in years. And you think Naomi is finally back. She has reached the end of her journey. She's with her people. And look at Naomi's response. Verse 20. And she said to them, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. And Mara literally means bitter. So this was her plan all along, and this is why she didn't want Ruth to come along, was because she's got the victim thing, and she is wearing it like a robe. I mean, she is totally immersed. You pull out her ID card, and it says bitter on it. And she said, I want you to call me that because the Lord has dealt with me harshly. Even God hates me, so my name is bitter. Bitter. So I can, you know, pretty much guarantee that uh, after that point, she didn't have very many friends. Verse 21, it says, I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Now notice that did Naomi return empty? Was she alone? She just had someone pledge their undying love and affection and devotion to her for the rest of their lives. Is she alone? Now you know why she wanted the daughter in laws to stay home, because it, it doesn't have the same effect. I have no one. What about her? Oh, I have no one but her. <laughs> I don't want her. I don't like her. Now, I think I'm a pretty good mother in law. <laughs> Imagine this. I mean, I, I think Junior likes me all right. I like him pretty good. This woman is psycho. With a capital P, not an S, it starts with a P, psycho. And Ruth still stays there. And it's and their timing in arriving is very important. Verse uh, chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Then there was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, and his, he was of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. So Ruth said to Naomi, Please let me go to a field and glean the grains after him in whose sight I may find favor. And so she said, Go, go ahead, go get food or something, I don't know, just get away from me. And what happened was in those days, they didn't have all the equipment and stuff, of course, to, uh, to cultivate that we do. And so, as they were uh, as they were bringing in the harvest by hand, sometimes grain would fall onto the ground. And when grain fell onto the ground, if you were poor and didn't have anything, you were you were allowed to come in and pick that grain up, and then you would have something for yourself. I'll tell y'all a funny story. It has nothing to do with marriage. It's just a funny story. Um, my grandmother, that raised me to to get money, she cleaned houses and she cleaned offices. And she sat with elderly people, and she picked up cans. I cannot tell you how many times we made the trip from here to Coleman and picked up every single beer can off the side of the road. It took us like six hours to get to Coleman one time. I was so mad. I'm like, really, do we have to do this? But, um... So she was always looking for ways to bring in money, and so during the fall she would pick up pecans. And she would, you know, she would go to the house, knock, knock, knock. Hey, I see you have a pecan tree. Can I pick up your pecans? If and and instead of paying me, can you just give me part of the pecans, and then I'll go sell the, you know, and and so they, a lot of people did that because there's a lot. Even one tree has a lot of pecans, and they don't want to pick them up. But if someone else picks them up for you, it's like free money, right? And so. She went up to this house on Fruitland Farm Road down here, and there was like about eight or nine pecan trees, and they were, they they, some of them lined the fence, and so there was pecans on the roadside. And so Mom went up to the door, and went knock knock knock, and she said, "Can I pick up some of your pecans? And and you know I'll pick them up for you, and you can just give me a portion of them." And the guy was like, "I watered these pecan trees. I fertilized these pecan trees." I planted most of these pecan trees. I have three boys, and they can pick up my pecans. And so mom was like, okay, no problem, no big deal, and went on her little way. Now, several years later, Todd and I started dating, and he happened to live on Fruitland Farm Road. And his dad happened to have several pecan trees. And so not long after uh, we, we started dating, Todd's like, hey, our parents need to meet. And, and so we went, <laughs> we went to dinner. And Todd's dad's like, "You look familiar, and my mother never forgot a face, and she said, "Yeah, you wouldn't let me pick up your pecans." <laughs> <laughs> so same concept here. we still got married, and you know we're all happy family now. Um, same concept here. so uh, Ruth would go around and she went to all the, the farmers and, and would say, "Hey, can I, can I glean from your field now The only caveat in this was they had to allow you to, you couldn't trespass on someone's land and just pick it up because they dropped it. You had to have permission. And so she's going around trying to find permission and she sees this guy named Boaz. And Boaz is like this George Clooney like guy. I mean all the women are just like drooling, Boaz, you know. And but Ruth is not too bad herself. And so Ruth is going around and, and she asks she goes up to Boaz. She she finds out who, who owns the field and she goes to Boaz and she said, Hey, is it okay if I glean from your field? And Boaz was like, Who is that? And they're like, Oh, she came back with Naomi. She's Naomi's daughter-in-law, she's like a Moabite, you know, she came back. We, that's all we know. And so he was like, Oh. Why, sure, you can glean. In fact, you know, I've got a, 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 some ladies that are right over there, and and if you need anything, if you need any water, if you need a basket, if you need anything, you just talk to them. They'll get you set up. Take all you want. And so Naomi comes home, and she's talking, I mean, Ruth comes home, and she's talking to Naomi, and she's like, hey, guess what? I found a guy. He's going to let me do, and he's really cute. And and uh, she's like, well, what's his name? She's like, well, it's, his name's Boaz. And she's like, Naomi goes, Boaz, I knew I brought you home with me for a reason. And all of a sudden, like, she loves Ruth. And she's like, Boaz happens to be kinfolk. And kinfolk are supposed to take care of the widows in the family should they die. So then Naomi begins to, okay, here's what I want you to do. Go in and and whatever he asks you to do, do it. And then, like, you know... It's weird, and we wouldn't do it, but, you know, when he goes to bed, go lay down at his feet. And, and so she tells, and in anyway, the end of the story is Boaz ends up asking Ruth to marry him. And he tells her, okay, not only will I take care of you, but I'll take care of your mother-in-law. Now, if, if I'm Ruth, um, I like the hunk, but now this gives me two mother-in-laws. And the first one... <laughs> The first one you just got to love because she changed her name to bitter. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, no, Ruth gladly. And, and then Naomi begins, She all of a sudden her eyes are open and she's like, you know what, God sent you with me. I thought you were being obstinate. I thought you were going to be an embarrassment to me. But God sent you with me to provide for me in my old age. And then an interesting thing happens. Ruth and Boaz have a kid. Now, I know it was a long time ago, and I've said a lot since we began this story, but do you all remember how long uh, Ruth was married to Naomi's son? Ten years, no kids. She was barren. Ten years, no kids, and no grandkids. And so all of a sudden, now she's with Boaz, and it says the Lord opens her womb, and she conceives, and she bears a son. And they name him Obed. And then Obed grows up and has a son. And his name is Jesse. And then Jesse grows up and has a son. And his name is David. And David becomes the king of Israel. And Jesus is in the lineage of David. So here's what, in our closing moments, and we're a little bit early, but I want to begin to wrap this up. Here's what I want us to learn from this. First of all, first of all, separation, divorce, the silent treatment, that can never be an option. We made a covenant. We wear the sign of the covenant. We have to stick with it. We have to be people of our word. We have to take divorce out of the equation. It's no longer, it's not even longer part of our vernacular. It's not in our dictionary. We take it out of, you know, we when people, other people talk about getting divorced, we go, huh, what's a divorce? Divorce has to be done away with. Oh, I just don't know if I can do that. Yeah, you can. You can. You have to make up your mind, and you can. There, 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 I, there has not been... Every day, every moment of my marriage said I've wanted to be married to Todd. We've had some rough times. And Todd is really great about sharing them. When we were going to counseling several years ago, uh, we did a joint counseling session and we, we thought we were going to marriage counseling. And so we did a joint marriage and he was like, yeah, I can help you, but I need to see you individually. And I'm like, wow, this is weird. And, you know, so... He was in San Antonio and so he said here's what I want to do since you guys are out of town he said we'll set up and we'll do like three or four days real intensive not your hour long sessions it's like all day sessions so uh, who wants to go first and Todd's like I'll go first and I was like good because he needs it more than I, I wasn't going to say anything but so Todd goes and he spends three days with this, this counselor guy and he comes back and he's like totally different totally different. I mean, I'm like, wow, there's like no more need for me to go because, you know. (laughs) No, I I knew I needed to go, and so I I set up my appointment, and I went down and spent my my week with him, and I'm in this week, and this guy is, his. he, you know, he used to be a pastor, but he took all these these counseling courses, and so he's really highly renowned in his field, and so he knows all these counseling techniques, and he's trying out to do all these things, and Nothing. Nothing. And so, you know, I, I need him. And then he said something that made me really mad because he, he, I was telling him a story that happened when I was a kid and he took like a different, he had a different take on it than I did. And he turned my hero into a villain and I'm like, that's not, you know, so, so he was like, okay, you need to go home and, you know, come back later. We'll try it again later. And so I went home and I thought, Well, this is not fair because Todd spent three days, and now he's like this whole new guy, and he sent me home. I paid him to send me home. That is not right. And so he goes, oh, and you need an accountability partner. You need someone that you can talk to and be accountable to, not your husband. It has to be, and I was like, okay, fine. So I called one of my friends. I was like, hey, I'm leaving this counselor that you told me to go to, and he said I need an accountability partner. And she was like, okay, and she started laughing. I'm like, what? And she goes, nothing. I think that's a great idea. I'd love to be your accounting. 30 minutes later, I called her back, and I'm like, you know what? I, never mind. I, I, You know, I'm good. I, I don't." And she started. She goes, that's why I started laughing, because I knew when you said it, you're not going to do it. And she said, I'm amazed. 30 minutes? You like broke every record that I ever thought. And I was like, okay, shut up now. You're bugging me. Um, but I, I waited a few weeks, and, and I did some of the exercises, and I went back to him. And Nothing is working, nothing, and I'm like, okay, what, what is why am I so broken that even the people who are trained to fix people can't fix me? What is wrong with me and he he walked into a room and we, we had taken a lunch break, and so I had gone to lunch and and he he said, You know, when we were at lunch, I was really praying because you know I don't know what to tell you, I don't know what else to say to you. we're just not making any headway here and he said, so um I can't help you. And I was, like, devastated because he helped Todd, and Todd was fixed, and Todd was happy, and I'm still not happy. Todd's fixed, and I thought fixing him would fix all my problems, and it didn't. And he said, he said I will tell you this. He said, you need to go, and you need to fast, and you need to pray. And God's going to fix you. He said, go back to your hotel room, fast and pray, call me in the morning and I was like great and why am I paying you I could have fasted and prayed at my house and so I went back to my hotel room and I had my laptop with me and I went on YouTube and, and I downloaded some praise and worship music and I mean I, I started praying and I'd been praying for like I don't know five minutes and all of a sudden bam the Holy Ghost hit me and I mean I'm like My my room had like this little couch on it, and so I'm like praying down on the couch, and I I feel like something's holding me down, and I can't get up. And I'm like, okay, God, whatever whatever it takes, I don't I don't want to leave this place the way I came to this place. So I'm at the end of my rope. I'm at the end of me. I can't do this anymore. I can't continue to live this way. And you know, Todd and I have been married. We've got three kids we're pastoring this church. And so it's not like God is a new concept for me. And it wasn't that I was faking it. It was just I was doing the best with what I knew to do. I mean, I believed God. I loved God. I worshiped God. I, I loved my husband. But something was still broken on the inside of me. And, I mean, I felt like for about... You know, it, it always seems longer in your head, but it was probably maybe five or ten minutes. I just felt like there was a hundred-pound weight just sitting on my chest. And then I just I felt it lift. I never heard an audible voice from God. I never, you know, but I, I felt that thing lift off me. I don't know what it was, and that's the only way I know to describe it. And I felt different. And I was like, hmm, it's kind of cool. I didn't call the counselor back because he told me to wait till the next morning. So the next morning I called him. I said, yeah, I want to come in and talk to you. And I told him what happened. I said, he said, see, I couldn't do that. Only God could do that. And so there are times when we're going through rough patches in our marriage that maybe the rough patch is caused by something that's broken on the inside of us. And your spouse can't fix it. God can fix it. And you can spend a lot of money on counseling, but God's a lot cheaper, and he does a much better job, if I can't say so, (laughs) myself. And it's amazing the difference that, I mean, and and it's not like from that point on, Todd and I have never had another argument. We, We have arguments. We have disagreements because we're two personalities, and God didn't change our personalities when he fixed us. He just fixed the broken parts in us. But it's amazing how it doesn't escalate to those points where the yelling and the rage and the screaming, and we we didn't break anything, but I mean, we never went on a vacation ever when our kids were little that we weren't just fighting. I mean, I remember one time we were in Colorado or someplace and Todd was like, just let me out of the car, I'm walking home. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, (laughs) go ahead. We never got to that point again, ever. We've never gotten to the point where we can't talk it out. We've never gotten to the point where it explodes, ever. We've never been to that point, ever. Because part of the thing that was the grinding in our marriage, the Holy Ghost fixed, God fixed. God took some, some of those things. And listen, we, we think that our spouse completes us. Your spouse does not complete you. A whole person and a whole person make a whole marriage. An incomplete person and an incomplete person make hell on earth. They do. The amazing thing with Naomi and Ruth is that once Naomi could see the way God was weaving things and and all of a sudden it hit her, oh, wow, I've been trying to get rid of this person. I wouldn't talk to her. I called her nothing. I wouldn't claim her when I came back home. And the whole time, this person was the, was the one that was making a way for me to have grandkids. This person was the one that was making a way for me to become whole and complete. And I don't have to beg on the streets in my old age. I have a, a, a new family, and I have a new place to live, and I never have to want for anything again. And God's will for my life was found through this person that I didn't even want. And I know that I know that I know there are some of you in here tonight and you're at that point in your relationships, you're at that point in your marriage, you don't even want them anymore. But you've made a covenant and you made a covenant between you and them and you and God. Because when in the marriage ceremony, unless you were married down at the courthouse, you made it, Your God was included in that covenant. And God has a will now, not just for your life and not just for their life, but for your life together. And He wants you to be happy, and He wants you to be fulfilled, and He has plans for you beyond your wildest dreams, but you have to stay in that covenant. You have to stay together. You have to learn to work it out. You have to learn to go to Him, and you have to let Him heal those areas in your life where you're broken. Did you learn anything tonight? Was that all right? Awesome. Well, listen, tonight we don't...